0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Mindfulness, being mindful and creating mindfulness with meditation. You know it's good for you, but it just never feels like there's enough time.
2: You know, people say, oh, no, I don't know how to meditate, I, you know. I try and stop and focus on something and empty my mind and all these thoughts are coming back and it goes away and I bring it back again. That's actually it's the practice. And so everyone has got the ability to do it. It's often we have this perception that it's all meant to be blissful or it's all meant to be completely chilled. Yeah, you know, we start to form the habit of being curious. That's what mindfulness is all
0: about. Simply by starting with, you know, one, mapping out these habit loops, two seeing how worrying or whatever isn't helping us, and then three finding that curiosity can be somewhat like a superpower.
1: Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and as we'll hear in this episode of This Working Life, mindfulness and meditation could be your new favourite high-performance hack for work. Using meditation to create mindfulness is an ancient practice, and the science backing it up has been piling in for years now. But how can we be motivated to make meditation part of our essential routine? How will it actually help our working lives? First up, Dr Judd Brewer.
0: I'm an addiction psychiatrist. I'm a neuroscientist. I'm an associate professor at Brown University.
1: Judd's also the Director of Research and Innovation at Brown University's Mindfulness Center. Mindfulness at work. What does that look like?
0: So let's say we're in a meeting. And somebody, you know, gets up to present and we think, oh, no, it's them again. They're getting to drone on and on and on. <laughs> so I've not never that felt that's like ever that, happened right? to any of us.
1: <laughs> not <laughs> <Right>. me, Chad. <John. laughs>
0: no, no. Maybe we're, check, you know, serendipitously trying to figure out how we can check our email at the same time, you know, that we're pretending to pay attention. So that could be the way we, that we typically approach life. And so mindfulness at work would be really you know, noticing our mind prejudging the situation, you know, because our brains from a neuroscience standpoint, our brains take past experience and they use that to try to predict the future. You know, our brains could say, Oh, I know how this is going to go. So we don't have to open to the present moment experience, or we could just interject a little bit of curiosity and go, Oh, there's my brain trying to predict the future. You know, let me see how this actually goes as, as compared to, assuming that it's going to go a certain way, or even kind of that assumption can prod it to actually unfold that way.
1: And so, explicitly, what are the advantages of being more mindful at work?
0: <laughs> Where do I start? Yes, that aware curiosity can help us with everything from not being as stressed out to not being as reactive to helping us be more open-minded and, and creative. You know a lot of benefits if you look at the science there's a lot of science showing that mindfulness helps with depression, for example, and I also find personally that it really helps uh, with how we relate to other people so instead of you know judging people or assuming things are going to go a certain way, we can really bring a fresh perspective and I have to say, when we truly are present with somebody, they know that you know in in this world, one of the commodities is presence is awareness you know is attention and so when we pay attention and truly pay attention people can feel that and it feels pretty good as an addiction psychiatrist i see a lot of patients who struggle with anxiety and often that shows up at work they might be so anxious at work that it really affects how they're performing at work it affects their relationships at work you know i've really focused on helping them kind of change their relationship to anxiety i never learned this in medical school but anxiety can actually be driven like a habit and so we can actually get in the habit of worrying this is where i can help my patients start to wake up to you know the worries as a habit loop and then use mindfulness as a way to step out of it
1: and let's define some key terms what's the difference between mindfulness and meditation for you
0: Yeah, I think of meditation as a smaller circle within a larger circle of mindfulness. So mindfulness is a concept that really brings together two experiential pieces of of life, which is awareness, right? We can be aware or we can not be aware. And it also brings together this attitudinal quality. So we can be aware of something, we could be judging it, or we could be aware of something and we could simply be curious and open to what's happening. And that openness, that curiosity that comes with awareness, I think of them as two sides of the same coin. That's really what this my, this concept of mindfulness captures.
1: In about 2012, Judd, I was sort of a high-flying corporate executive. And I thought, oh, I need work-life balance. And so I started training for Olympic distance triathlon. So I was running, I was swimming. And so I would wake up at 3 a.m. because I had so much on my mind. And then I would start work. Um, I found it very hard to sleep. Uh, But I felt like I was energised by my work. I didn't really feel that stress. Then, of course, no surprise, I went on holidays and I got very sick. I got shingles, but then the shingles passed, but I actually got secondary nerve damage, post-herpetic neuralgia. And the GP said, whatever you do, don't Google it. So I went home <laughs> and I Googled it.
0: <laughs> and Googled post
1: Postherpetic neuralgia. And there are horror stories of people never going back to work. And I was in so much searing pain, Judd. And I thought, what have I done? Somewhere along the line, I'd made a mistake. Mm. And my friend said, have you ever tried mindfulness for pain reduction? And so I found out about John Kabat-Sin's program, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And even though in my life I never thought about ever stopping and doing nothing <laughs> as as I defined <laughs> it I signed up and it was really tough it was challenging but I d- did it and it did change my life because not only did it help me with my pain and then it helped me with what was causing the pain which is you know my mind and my worries and my st- stress without knowing it and then my lifestyle but it gave me informal mindfulness this presence of being with someone my brother said you're nicer <laughs> my team members said oh you know you're not emailing me at the same time I'm trying to have a one-on-one discussion with you and then um, my client said Do you actually listening thank you but it's completely fallen away. That was 10 years ago, Judd. I do not have a formal meditation practice anymore. I do have informal mindfulness. So every so often when I my you know I go off track, I go back to my breath and then I go, here I am. And so I'll check in. I want to know, Judd, do I need a formal meditation practice? Should I try and put that back in? How might that help me?
0: So certainly, I wouldn't dissuade anyone from doing a formal meditation practice, but a lot of people find that they're pretty busy. Our clinical studies have suggested that informal mindfulness practice practices can be really, really helpful. So for example, we did a study with mindfulness training to help people quit smoking. We actually got five times the quit rates of gold standard treatment. And we also did a secondary analysis where we looked to see if informal or formal mindfulness practices Moderated those effects the most. And it was actually the informal practices. So, helping people learn to be with a craving to smoke a cigarette. And we all can apply this. You know, if we have an urge to interrupt somebody, if we have the habit of doing that, or if we have an urge to lash out at friends or family members, or if we have an urge to, let's say, pull up our smartphone and start emailing somebody while we're in the middle of a conversation, we can informally step back and just notice instead of going, You know, oh, and scratching that itch of that urge, we can step back and go, oh, there's an itch. What does it feel like? And in the moment, we can just spend a couple of seconds exploring that while we watch that itch come and go and learn that we can actually be in a lot more control of our lives than we thought, as compared to being driven by these urges where we might not even be aware of them, we might act on them automatically. We can step back and see that, you know, with a little bit of awareness, with a little bit of curiosity, it can put us back in the driver's seat. You know, if we're not paying attention to how unrewarding a behavior is, we're never going to stop doing it. And if we don't pay attention to how rewarding behaviors are, for example, listening to people or exercising, you know. So when we listen to people and they give us feedback and say, wow, you really listened? We can see how rewarding that is, and then our brain learns, "Hey, do that again. That was good." You know, it doesn't take a neuroscientist or a rocket scientist to figure this out. It really simply takes being aware and learning to pay attention as we are scratching those itches or as we are, you know, coming off of autopilot.
1: With a formal meditation practice, I have heard that it it might induce changes in the brain, which would then potentially help with an informal mindful moment at work because we're kind of exercising and and helping our brain sort of have a, a healthier cycle.
0: Yes, and probably the most consistent research has been mindfulness training showing that you can change uh, activation in a part of the brain called the default mode network. My lab and other labs have actually found this when we've scanned experienced meditators' brains and novice meditators' brains. And we found that, so this default mode network gets activated when we get caught up in cravings, it gets activated when we worry, it gets activated when we judge ourselves. And so what we found was that experienced meditators tend to quiet that part of the brain, that network of brain regions.
1: If we wanted to introduce a formal meditation practice, How much are we talking? (laughs) How long do I have to sit down there for, Judd?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So whether we are aware for a moment and bring curiosity into the moment or whether we can spend 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes, you know, doing a formal meditation practice where we're practicing being curious, it's really about checking with our experience and seeing if we can truly be curious in that moment. And it's really, you know, one moment at a time. If you want to set a habit of being curious, it's about noticing in that moment what it feels like to be curious and noticing how good it feels to be curious.
1: I listened to your um, curiosity, mindful um, moment. There was a real playfulness to it as well.
0: Often we have this habit of judging ourselves. You know, what is it? Judgy McJudgerson. It's like this voice in our head. That's constantly saying, oh, I can't believe you did that. Or why didn't you do that? Or, you could have done that better. You should have not done this. You should have done this. These are so habitual that we don't even notice that these are just stories that we're telling ourselves. These are just voices in our heads that are kind of judging everything we're doing. And what you know, this curious awareness can help us do is just wake up and notice, oh, I'm judging myself. You know, It's optional. I, don't, I can just kind of let that voice fade into the background. I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to believe it. And then we can notice what it feels like. You know, what's it like when I'm constantly judging myself? And what's it like when I'm not judging myself? And, you know, to our brains, it's a no-brainer. It it just feels better to not judge ourselves. It feels better to be curious. And because it feels better, that taps into our brains, this reward-based learning system So that we start learning, oh, that curiosity, that feels pretty good. I want to do more of that. And that judgment "Mm, doesn't feel so good. And we start to become disenchanted with these old habits.
1: Let's go now to some practical tips on how to be more mindful at work. And maybe we can build in a scenario where someone's feeling, you know, a rising tide of anxiety or stress in relation to their work what would your intervention be?
0: Well, the first thing I would do is I would help them to kind of map out their habit loops around anxiety. You know, if we don't know how our minds work, we can't work with them. You know, for any habit to form, you need to trigger a behavior and a result. So let's go through this. And so... You know, if there's a judgmental voice in their head, that might trigger them to worry, you know, oh no, why aren't I doing a good job or am I going to get fired or whatever? So there's the behavior and these behaviors can be mental or they can be physical where we're, you know, we're stress eating if we're stressed out. And then we can start to notice what's the result. And that's actually the second step where we can simply ask ourselves, what am I getting from this? Or if I worry a lot, what do I get from worrying? nothing. <laughs> you know, it, doesn't, you know, it doesn't keep my family members safe. It doesn't you know, magically make whatever I'm worried about you know, go the right way. And so we can start to see, oh, this worrying is actually making me more anxious. That's where we tap into our brain's reward-based learning system and we start to become disenchanted with those behaviors. That's the second step. And the third step is really what I call finding a BBO, a bigger, better offer. If we're worrying all the time, we can then compare that to what it feels like to be curious, you know? So if I worry about anxiety, what's it feel like to simply be curious about what anxiety feels like in my body? And as we get curious, we can start to notice that these are physical sensations, these are stories we tell ourselves, these are thoughts, and we can be with those thoughts. And instead of getting caught up in them, we can simply watch them come and go. There we go. We start to form the habit of being curious. That's what mindfulness is all about. Simply by... Starting with, you know, one, mapping out these habit loops, two, seeing how worrying or whatever isn't helping us, and then three, finding that curiosity can be somewhat like a superpower.
1: What about the people who might be saying right now, well, you know, I'm worrying for good reason because I work with a pack of people who aren't doing a very good job. (laughs) they're the ones causing me to worry and they're making me anxious
0: yeah so whatever the cause is we can ask ourselves is worrying actually solving the problem so often our brains are very good at making correlations you know we say oh i'm worrying and therefore you know it must be helping me get my work done or you know get my team members to shape up but this is this Fallacy of correlation, which does not equal causation. And what's been shown consistently in the scientific literature is that the more anxious we are, the worse we do. We can say, "Well, is this worrying actually helping me?" You know, meet with my team members and help them get their work done, or whatever. And then we can compare it. We can say, "Well, let me try something other than worrying. And what if I bring curiosity or kindness to the workplace?" You know, somebody comes in and they're struggling with something. Instead of reacting and saying, oh, you should have done it this way or I can't believe you did it that way, we try to inject some curiosity like, oh, okay, well, how did that go? <laughs> you know, and also bring in some kindness. Oh, how can we help? And then that kind of feeds the culture at, in our workplace for, you know, everybody to feel like it's supportive, to be able to bring forward these challenges and struggles that they
1: have. Any other tips for us about how to be more mindful at work, Judd?
0: The big thing I would say is to reflect on our behavior. So if we're frustrated, you know, once that subsides, we can kind of reflect on it and ask ourselves, Well, what did I get from that? And it only needs to happen for a breath. It doesn't need to, you know, be like, Oh, now let me go contemplate this for twenty minutes. No. (laughs) We can we can learn things pretty quickly.
1: Oh, I like that. And it seems to take the pressure off having to build it into our busy lives if we just build it like a habit. So Judd's given us the scientific evidence that this stuff works. Now let's meet someone who's overhauled their working life with meditation and mindfulness. Jack Heath is CEO of Philanthropy Australia. He set up the Reach Out Youth Mental Health Organisation and he was CEO at SANE Australia. He's been a government diplomat Speechwriter and senior advisor to former Prime Minister Paul Keating, but he has also been practicing meditation pretty seriously since nineteen ninety-four. Can you share what your regular practice looks like now, Jack?
2: I'll um I get up and I'll have a coffee and do a little bit of yoga and then I go and sit on the the meditation mat, I'll do that for um, an hour each morning. And then at the um, end of the day, um, also I'll go and sit, sit on the mat again and, you know, usually about half an hour. You know, that might seem like a lot of time, but the benefits that I get from it, sort of, it's an investment that sort of repays itself many times over.
1: What are you doing in that hour?
2: Yesterday, we were sort of, you know, we had to get our board papers finalised. Uh, we've got a board meeting coming up that's always very stressful And so even though you knew your mind wasn't well-focused, you just try and gently bring it back to whatever it is that you're focusing on, whether it's breath, an object, an image or something. And that act of constantly sort of bringing back actually helps de-escalate you from some of that sort of, you know, anxious or those sort of tense periods that you're going through. And so you can actually use different techniques to be able to sort of bring yourself back and down and grounded.
1: If I had board papers due, I would be very tempted to take that hour to Prepare for the board papers rather than doing the meditation practice.
2: One of the important things is that you develop a habit around your practice. It would be very, very rare that I wouldn't do that hour in the morning. And what I know is that from having done that, when you come to doing whatever it is, it might be complex, complicated task, you're actually going to sort of bring a clearer mind.
1: And so let's use this example of preparing for the board papers. Uh, Talk us through specifically what you might be doing in your meditation practice to, in a way, prepare for that big day.
2: One of the techniques that I find is very helpful is what's called box breathing And so this is where you breathe in for, say, six seconds, hold the breath for six seconds, breathe out for six seconds, hold the breath for six seconds, and then just repeat the cycle time and time again. This particular technique, someone was telling me it's what U.S. Navy SEALs or others use before they go into battle, bringing them right down and grounded, and so they're particularly alert to what's going on. That long, slow out-breath that you do is that often that breath out is sort of very short and you breathe in again and that's because you're not feeling safe and not in a relaxed state. So what happens is that the practice is not only helpful in terms of bringing you to a much more grounded and clearer space, but it also gives this perspective in terms of seeing how the mind is operating at a particular point in time.
1: And then... Let's say then it's time to go and do the papers uh, and then maybe even interact with others during the day. How does that practice then set you up to be mindful in your working day?
2: You know, yesterday, not only were we preparing board papers, but I was actually having to do a presentation. You have these moments where you just think, oh, my God, I can't possibly do it. It's not going to come together. It's all going to fall apart. And then the thing is that just using that breath technique or whatever, you say, okay, well, we've been in this place, we know this emotion, we've been able to get through it before. So what happens is that it de-escalates what can be that rising anxiety that sort of cycles up and up. And then by being mindful of it, you can come down, it gives you more of that time to sort of pause and put things together. And, you know, even though I didn't think it was going to happen yesterday morning, surprise, surprise, the broadcast went particularly well. And then I sort of got through to... Uh, finishing off the board papers and doing the CEO report. Sorry,
1: two secs. Hang on. Ari, I'm all good. Oh, okay. Come on in. Sorry about this. I thought you were out. Doing the thing. All right. So just then (laughs) um, someone came into the studio to pick up a microphone. And so then I lost track. And then I started, I could feel myself actually just going, it's fine. You know, he's going to pick up the microphone and we'll get back into our conversation. But I could definitely feel my heart racing. So physically I was feeling something, even though I was saying, it's all good. You know, we'll get back into it. So what's a nice practice I could do in this moment?
2: Um, I think the thing would be just very simply, it would be try and do a, a longer breath in and a slower breath out and try to make the breath in and breath out longer it should actually bring you down just in, uh, even almost instantaneously.
1: That has helped enormously. Thank you. <laughs> well,
2: it wasn't too hard, was it?
1: <laughs> that was really easy.
2: This meditation thing, it's actually, it's not, I, and I look, one of the things is that, you know, people say, oh, no, I don't know how to meditate. I, you know, I try and stop and focus on something and empty my mind and all these thoughts are coming back and it goes away and I bring it back again. That's actually it's the practice. And so everyone has got the ability to do it. It's often we have this perception that it's all meant to be blissful or it's all meant to be completely chilled.
1: What about a scenario where in a workplace somebody else has been triggered, they're flaring, uh, and we want to be helpful to them, but saying something like, why don't you just breathe <laughs> is actually going to make the situation
2: worse. I just sort of think that we shouldn't underestimate the ability in which, you know, someone who's really calm and relaxed in in an environment can actually help, if you like, de-escalate it for the others who are there. Um, Sometimes it's just right to be with people and to be quiet and to focus on your own breath, not try to react, not try to sort, but just to genuinely be with someone who might be going through a difficult period.
1: How do you avoid emotion contagion?
2: Uh, What often the meditation practice does is to put a distance between an event and your emotion and so part of it is that sometimes we'll feel oh someone's triggered me or oh, someone's pulling me down no that's not the situation something has happened there that's external but it's my reaction to the situation that is feeding into this so i need to take if you like a sense of responsibility about how You know, I individually might be contributing to the situation that's arising, not in terms of what they've done, but how I respond to it. And what I've found is that the more you can do your meditation practice, it creates a bigger distance between an external event and your own emotional reaction. And over time, the intensity of that emotional reaction will actually dissipate significantly.
1: Can you tell us about maybe some of the longer term effects you've found of this practice at work?
2: When I look back, I just sort of think, you know, thank God or thank Buddha that I did because it's enabled me to go into territory that I think otherwise would have been, you know, completely um, overwhelming.
1: Jack Heath, thank you and namaste.
2: Thank you kindly.
1: That was Jack Heath, CEO of Philanthropy Australia. And we heard from Dr Judd Brewer from Brown University's Mindfulness Centre. And if you want more from Judd, check out his book, Unwinding Anxiety. New science shows how to break the cycles of worry and fear to heal your mind. This Working Life is produced by Sarah Allerley. She's actually noticed she's become more mindful while making this episode, but is still trying to meditate more regularly. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next time, love your work. Om.